Log Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome. The title of the episode is Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained, The Role of Poetry in Mental Health Awareness. The title is inspired by John Milton's epic poems that explores the themes of sin, suffering, redemption, and restoration. But we're not here tonight to discuss theology. No, tonight, our featured poets and spoken word artists will share the experiences of losing and finding a sense of paradise through poetry. These poets will share poetic works, illustrate how reading, writing, and or reciting poetry assisted them deal with the struggles, overcome obstacles, and embrace joys. Tonight, you will hear poetry written and or performed by Ahmad Al-Khattat, Skaya Evans, Benjamin Sheriff Goldberg, Richard Harries, Jessica Philly Park, Nicholas Michael Ravnikar, I love Nicholas, Lisa Simmons and David Thurston, a.k.a. Bipo Phoenix. You know, it's important to remember that mental health issues are common and treatable. Seeking help is not a sign of weakness. The act of seeking help actually shows strength. One organization that is dedicated to helping is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also known as NAMI. David Thurston knows about NAMI. And I'd like him to share a few words about NAMI's services. Hello, David. Me? Hello. Good evening. Michael. Yes. Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. You're on the air. All right, great. Um, yeah, so my, my family is pretty involved in the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses chapter in D.C., um, and NAMI DC is, is, is engaged with this event. It's not a, the whole national umbrella isn't affiliated. Um, but NAMI DC provides emotional support, community, and education, um, and advocacy around mental health issues in the District of Columbia. Um, there are two support groups that meet once a week each. Um, there's a course called Family to Family that trains families in how to recognize signs and symptoms and collaborate with their loved ones. And um, there's a lot of other ongoing advocacy that NAMI is part of in D.C. I served as the outreach coordinator for a few years before, um, before moving on to pursue my own professional career in mental health. So um, I don't know if there's anything uh, more specific I can say about NAMI, Michael, right. but um, the website is namidc.org, N-A-M-I-D-C.org. All right. Thank you very much. NAMI is a very powerful organization. To me, being a member of NAMI, from the vantage point that they are out there to assist people who live with mental illness, who deal with mental health concerns, and again, it's so important to have, in my mind, an organization that can ally with you. So again, that you recognize you're not alone in this struggle. It's tough sometimes when you're dealing with these issues. I know. It's tough sometimes when you're dealing with these issues. Now tonight, again... 
Our program, the poets will perform and share their work in a round-robin fashion. And I'd like to begin by sharing a piece by Lisa Simmons, who lives on Lake Garda in Italy. This is her original piece. And the piece is titled, I Think I Understand. This one's called, I Think I Understand. I think I understand cutting now, as much as someone who doesn't do it can. I know the feeling of I cannot live in this skin. The feeling of when is this hurt going to end? The feeling of how to get rid of this pain, how to distract my brain. I think I understand cutting now. Divorcing oneself from the gasping, midnight, wake, shivering, shaking, quake. I thought I was going to die, but here I heave and heave and lie. Here I heave and lie. I think, I think I understand cutting now when there's no other choice, when you can't see beyond, when this moment is all, when I am feeling so small and I can not grip. Every signpost lost, no touchstone healed, no distraction to be found, no song to be sung, no words to be read, no solve for the wound, no spot that is safe, no respite, no grace. I think I understand cutting now. Layer, layers thick, all my lives heaped like bricks, covering my inadequacies, covering insecurity. Walling up the interior, covering what's past and done and gone, safe from probing exteriors, buried deep, so deep I cannot reach down, down so deep, only revealed on the cusp of sleep, when defenses are released, when I'm almost at peace. And the jerk, the pulling up, the breathless inhale as I flail and I flail, and there it is, though I'd hoped last time was the final time, but here it is, the gasp, 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 gasping, midnight, wake, shivering, shaking, quaking. I think I understand cutting now. End of poem. That was Lisa Simmons an internationally renowned multidisciplinary artist. I'd like to thank her for her contribution. I'd like to now move to Ahmad Katat. Ahmad, you're on the air. Okay. So my first poem, the title will be, You No Longer Have Hands. You destroyed the journal I had kept for years. I feel ashamed to read my sorrows with a language other than my mother tongue. Beautiful, skin, silky skin and blue, watery eyes are the reasons why my disappointments are that In the, my shadow, I see myself free from the coffin. Yet, everyone dies when I pretend to be asleep. I jailed my poems, my tales, and tears in my heart. The prisoners ask if I'm ready to close my eyes. 
I give him my watch and say, tell him, take the time and slaughter me. You will peel my skin and sip my blood in less than a year. You no longer have hands to bury my dreams. Oh, but that, am I, why am I in the blues when I feel like a dead soldier in a cell or a stranger in Montreal corners? Lots of bare hands with blood splitting on my sad face. Thank you. Ahmad, thank you. Tell us where you hail from, Ahmad, and more about your story in terms of your writing. All right. So my full name is Ahmed Al-Khattad. I'm 34 years old. I'm originally from Iraq, but I live in Canada. Uh, the reason why I suffer from mental illness is because when I was 21 years old, I used to date this girl back home. She was in my country, and I was in Montreal, Canada, of course. And we dated for almost like two years, and everything was fine. And at some point, you know, I decided to go and meet up with her. But sadly, due to the war we had back, back in the day, the situation didn't allow me. So, sadly, all I heard was I was rejected to get a visa. And then within a few days, the girl that I used to be fall in love with, she passed away from an explosion that happened, a terrorist explosion happened back home. And since then, I'm always suffering in depression and dealing with mental illness of missing her. Hmm. So how has poetry been able to assist you, my friend? Well, because you feel like I take poetry as a meditation, you know, as a way to escape from my grief. And that's why, you know, like, every time when I write a poem, I always put her in my mind and write about her. Because, you know, she was right. special. She was my first one. All right. Thank you. Our next poet is Benjamin Sharif Goldberg. Welcome, Benjamin. Hey, everybody. Hey, Michael. Thanks Hello. for having me. Thanks for having us all. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm Ben, and um, neurodivergent poet and teacher living here in, um, you know, southern Maryland, living in Waldorf, originally from Michigan. And, uh, and I'm going to read a poem called To the Boy Breaking His Hand Against a Wall. And this is after the poet Kim Adonisio, who wrote a poem um, – that inspired this call to the woman un- uh, crying uncontrollably in the next stall. All right. To the boy breaking his hand against the wall. If a room's description ever made you relive the elided crimes within, if you were forced to see once more because you saw just once, to hold a loved one you discovered shivering and hidden, to see and hold yourself like this, If you learn to know your only offering was hands to throw against what comes for you, for yours. If you tracked his socials, mapped each habit, and found the architect of sadness smirking back through storm door, plaster, fiberglass, window, cinder block, or skin. If you tried, as told, forgiveness, but no, because fuck that. If all of this, if none, but still this wall, Please listen, your hand is speaking, its bones are softness. Each of them, of us, so much of us, is softness. Thank you. Tell us more, if you're willing, Ben, about your story. So, yeah, um, well, kind of a uh, love. I think <laughs> love did it for me, too. Um, 
mine did not end. Um, mine did not end with her dying. Mine ended with her just leaving. And, and that was the manifestation of what I now understand or believe to be borderline personality disorder. Um, mm-hmm. It's a long story about how to sort, you know, kind of sorting through all of the diagnoses to make sense of what actually was going on. Um, and if there's time, we can talk about that, but, but yeah, um, that trace a lineage of other things back to before that. Um, and yeah, here we are. Yes. Borderline and living. So how did poetry assist you navigate through life? So originally, um, poetry, I think kind of gave me a purpose, um, in high school, when I kind of fell in love with poetry, I, I found in it a, a reason to keep existing. Um, and sometimes that, that, was, that was really urgent. Like that was day to day a necessity. Um, here's another reason to make it another day, to exist another day, to live this day for. And, um, and I guess my relationship with poetry has evolved. Um, I've come closer to it and stepped further away from it, but it's always kind of been there. Um, whatever I, wherever I was in relation to it, it's always existed. Um, Mm -hmm. so, yeah. All right. Thank you. The next poet is Skya Evans. You're on Skya. Hello. Hello. Um, so... So I'm Sky. Uh, I come from uh, originally Minnesota. I live in Southeast Virginia now with uh, my cats who have become my emotional support creatures. Um, I also have borderline personality disorder, uh, among other things. And um, the first piece I have is called A Full Plate. Thin, feeling like Sandra, demanding to be moisturized. It's a momentary blip, nothing specific fueling the noise. Remnants of memories deflated by expectations apparently unreasonable. Talking over each other in my mind, full of effort to convince me of lies. Brain gremlins chatter incessantly, becoming micromanagement. HOA reps issuing citations. Clear out those old memories before you dare create new ones. The price paid for buried ignorance becomes the demons that taught me every time I excavate happiness. Thank you. Please share more of your story, Skya, in terms of how poetry assisted you. It's like one of those one of those art forms. I mean, I I do other visual arts, too. Um, It's one of those art forms that doesn't need a specific form. Mm -hmm. It's a few lines, and you can capture so much emotion, or you can write something that's a couple pages long. It's whatever it needs to be to process. I use Mm -hmm. writing to process. Okay. The process for understanding. What I'm going through, like how to to make sense of things in the world. All right. Thank you. The next poet is Jessica Philly Park. Hey. Hello, Jessica. Hello. 
Right. Hello, hello. All right. Uh, so yeah, I'm Jessica Philly Park. Um, I uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, but I've lived in D.C. for like 28 years. Um, host a poetry open mic called the Gorilla Poetry Insurgency. Um, although we're mainly online now, but still doing it every second Tuesday of the month. Um, and yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me on. This is amazing. And can you hear me? Yes, please, Cheryl Paul. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear you for a second. Okay. All right. Um, I'll share one. This one is called, I think we all get stuck. I think we all get stuck at the maturity level of where we were when the first really bad thing in life happened to us. For me, it was when my dad died. He was in his fifties, too young. I cried for what seems at least a year. I was 23. I finished college a little late, so 23 was the first year of a real job, even though I had jobs since I was 16. Money was shit, but it was mine, so no funds from the folks and student loan payments sucked, but I was an independent woman. An independent woman who could spend her money on how she wanted and not worry about getting up early for class. Scholarship education actually kept me pretty tame in school compared to my newbie college mates. I didn't do as many drugs as them, but I did love to party. And once you're on your own, there's no guilt in partying. That money you're spending is yours. That time you're burning is yours. That responsibility you're shirking is yours. My boss must have loved me. So it was in my early 20s. I was at the bars, at the clubs, even sometimes on a weekday, and that was living life to me. When my dad died, then I continued my shenanigans, and the cheaper version was bringing the bottles home. I was an adult, and playing as one, I could do legally what I once snuck into the dorm rooms, and I had lots of company. Associating drinks with happy was an easy psychological thing to do. It's okay to dabble, not dive, but I dove deep. So I got stuck at 23. Now I'm really finally trying to get unstuck because I'd like to give 46 a shot. Did you get stuck somewhere? Thank you. Mm-hmm. What about poetry assisted you, Jessica? Um, I I started writing in high school, um, and I remember I was probably like 15 or something, and I remember going, you know, as teenagers do, they kind of, at least I did, I got depressed. And um, I kind of just discovered poetry through that, like doodling one day, writing words. I've never been great at art, but I've always been drawn to writing in words. And um, it just helps you work through things. And listening to other people's poetry makes you feel less alone. Um, I often say that poetry and sharing poetry is like we're, we're therapizing. And Michael, I know you've heard me say therapize. <laughs> yes. Before we know it's not a word, but it just helps. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff throughout life, obviously, the death of my father, very significant, but other things, other loss. And, um, you know, we all know what it's like to spiral and, uh, or maybe we don't all know, 
but, um, you know, poetry is one of those things. If you can get in it, you might work out some of those things and just help, help keep you up uh, All right. for another day. All right. Thank you. All right. Our next poet is Nicholas Michael Ravnikar. Hello, Nicholas. Hello, Dr. Ingram. Thank you yes. very much for this mm-hmm. episode. Um, I guess I would just say that I'm a, I'm a poet and scholar living in Racine, Wisconsin. Um, I've got multiple diagnoses uh, of borderline personality disorder, bipolar 2, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, ADHD, and dysthymia persistent depression. So uh, I am very divergent <laughs> when it comes to my neurons. Um, I'm also a recovering alcoholic addict. Uh, I've been sober for 12 years, and I, I actually completed the NAMI peer-to-peer 12-week uh, introductory course that uh, was developed at the national level, and I found that really helpful uh, after my more recent uh, nervous breakdown in 2021. I'm, uh, I'm also the publisher of Paper Knives Small Press, um, so I hope that all of uh, the folks listening get a chance to check that out. Because I'd also like to provide a, a voice for for people who are dealing with mental health conditions, whether those are diagnosed or not, um, through writing. Uh, the first piece that I'm going to read uh, in our episode tonight is called Open Wounds. You ever spend a lifetime tearing yourself to pieces just to find a reason to put yourself together? The deepest well... I ever fell down, never ended. A series of darknesses that flew past. Because there are sad parts of life we cannot miss. And our lives must absorb our bad decisions. While I stayed scar still and blunted as the hands that pushed me in the stillest danger, I swear I'm on the verge of always leaving. I worried how the plummet would feel if it ever ends. So if you've thought it's hard to want what's good for you, bad enough, you're not alone. And that is the end of that poem. All right. How did you find poetry, Nicholas? How did you find it? And how did it assist you? You know, I tend to think that poetry found me. Okay. Um, uh, I... I don't really remember a specific time at which I decided to start writing, but I, I recently got a copy of a poem I wrote when I was about six or seven uh, for, for my dad on his birthday. So I know that I was writing poetry that young. Um, I don't think I really became aware of it as a kind of catharsis or release. Um, probably until I was in junior high. I think probably seventh grade was when a lot of the uh, uh, emotions that, that the intense emotions really started to surface, like they couldn't be suppressed anymore. And All right. I think, I think poetry really helped with that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Our next poet is David Thurston, a.k.a. Bipo Phoenix. Hello. Hey, Michael. Hello, um, David. It's good to, be, good to be here. Thank you for hosting this. Mm-hmm. 
so um, I was trying to figure out what I should read and what fit most with the theme. Um, and a couple of people have brought up the language of neurodivergence and neurodiversity. So I thought I would read a poem that fit with that. This poem is called Neurodivergent. I wrote it last July. Um, here you go. Um, what if my evolving diagnosis is so much more than pathology? What if it's not illness? What if it's capacity? I feel these burning questions reverberating karmically. I feel the power of empathy, fractals of neurodivergent chemistry. These fractals of psychotropic water, synaptic fluid pregnant with power, churning in waves of emotion, burning with the aquatic fire of devotion. Fierce oscillations of mood can leave me exhausted and dry, but these seismic tectonic forces can be portals to prescient insight. We navigate a din of voices, seeking grace, love, and life. We find nation divine power, seeking roots within our minds. This is neurodivergent revolution, encompassing the recent sail to claim liberation. We ride the waves and become whole. We craft sacred texts, showing the wisdom that we know. Our neurodivergent army yearns to swim and create, evolving to fuse with waves and to grow. Wow. Share some more of your story, David, and how poetry assisted you. Well, um, my name... The name I creative identity is Bipo Phoenix and B Y P O is my first name. It's the riff on the word bipolar. Um, I kind of was starting to get into street art actually at the time and I was I wanted like a tag that was kind of you know, would would put mental health out there but also would kind of like um not just accept the dominant narrative. So I didn't want to just write bipolar. I turned it into my own word and made it my own little branding. And then I went through a really rough depression a few years later and I came out of it and a friend told me that she always knew I'd come back from that, but I'm a phoenix. So I took that on as my, the second part of my name. Um, but yeah, I mean, mental, um, mental health stuff started becoming really severe for me in 2004. So it's been almost 20 years and um, art has been a critical part of exploring and healing um, both visual art with abstract painting and street art, but especially poetry. I started, um, sharing my work with others in 2008 and I started publishing online in 2010. And um, there's a while where I didn't write anything. I didn't publish anything new. So I was so deeply depressed between like 2011 and 2016. Um, but all told, I've, I've got about um, 580 some poems on my website. So if you want to check it out, you can just go to BYPO. Um, you can Google BYPO about poems you'll probably find it quickly, or you can go to Bipole Revolution. Dot com, which is the full name of the website, B-Y-P-O-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. All right. Thank you. To share a piece. And the title of the piece is Sisyphus and Albert. Many years ago, I read famed French philosopher Albert Camus' existential essay, the death of Sisyphus. In Greek mythology, Sisyphus was the scheming king in Greek mythology who delighted in tricking the gods to achieve his own personal gain. Sisyphus was condemned by the gods to a pointless task of rolling a large rock up a mountain, only to watch it roll repeatedly downhill for eternity. Sisyphus and Albert. Sisyphus, 
I read the words of Albert Camus last night. He stated that your eternal millstone to a giant boulder up a hill, reach the top, and repeatedly watch it roll down again was well earned. I wholeheartedly agree with this assessment of your mythological task. I read the words of Albert Camus last night. His reflections on the absurdity of life made me think about my own existence, the unceasing struggle to differentiate the real from Sometimes the views are so blurred that I get perplexed finding the difference between hazel stones and flowers. So I cannot help but wonder if, like you, I too will roll a boulder up a hill forever. I read the words of Albert Camus last night. His reflections on the absurdity of life again made me think about my existence. No, I have done nothing wrong. Unlike you, I neither reveal Zeus's secrets to Osopus, nor have I been cruel to humanity. I have not cheated death twice, once, but twice no. And haze is yet to be given as my current address. My crime is that I wear a mask to hide my real self. Invisible, yet visible, I dart through speech, conversations, and love relations so that no one would discover that I live with a mind that does not love me. The chatter in my head is not gentle like that of a tiny baby. It does not exude warmth. It does not do the body good like milk was erroneously believed to do. I read the words of Albert Camus last night. A troubled mind is the boulder I repeatedly roll up a hill every day. I push it up to the top of my mind's mountain, only to watch it crash down before midnight, never ending, never ceasing chaos caused by the light, triggered by the world. I read the words of Abba Camus last night. Afterward, I could not sleep. So what I'd like this group to do is to think about what you've heard in the first round of the round robin, any word or phrase, anything that came to mind, and let's, let's talk. So I'm going to open the lines for everyone. All right. Here we go. I cannot sleep tonight. Hold on one second, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Okay, the lines are open for everyone. <laughs> All right. They heard the words of Albert Camus too. All right. Uh, so, so let's talk. That first round was very powerful. Well, before we do that, let me share my story. I too live. I live with mental illness, and I have so for forty years. Yeah. It's been a terrible journey. And I've often said I wouldn't wish my life on anyone else as a consequence of it. So poetry for me allowed me to to be my own man in a sense. My mind could not control my poetry. And that saved me. Yeah. All right. Let's go, good people. What did you hear? Any word or phrase that came to mind? 
One of the uh, the things that I I wrote down was just uh, that we share loneliness. Um, I don't know if you want me to expound on that or if you want to hear what other people uh, also thought first. Okay, I think it might be better if you go continue. All right. Sure. Yeah. So I, I thought that um, you know this idea that we share loneliness. Um, <laughs> sort of resonated with me just because, uh, you know, in hearing everybody's story, one of the things that, that I felt in common with is the sense that, um, right, identifying that there is a mental illness and that mental health is something that um, I can struggle for or strive for um, started to open up the experience that I have of feeling isolated from the rest of the world. Um, and so that, you know, the sense that like I'm living with my problems or I think you said, um, in, in your piece, right. That triggered by the world. Right. Um, and it very much feels like living in a state where I feel triggered by the world, uh, nearly constantly, um, Mm -hmm. has me in a state of isolation, but through conversations like this and through hearing other people's poetry, there's a, a sense um, that maybe my perception of my own loneliness isn't necessarily accurate, that there are other people who are experiencing the world in roughly similar ways. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Thank you, Nicholas. Yeah, similarly in terms of things that I'm hearing and relating to um, Gaia said excavate happiness and I just wrote that down because I'm very much interested in that um, idea and concept. Um, and, you know, with poetry it's like, you know, somebody says that it's, a, it's, a, it's such a simple phrase and you just put two things together and you're like, yes, aha, you know, that's it. Um, and in this, in this particular case, you know, the interesting to know what people, how they excavate happiness. Um, and it's also been making me think on, uh, you know, just deeper psychological things as, as of late in terms of, you know, some of the more existential questions about life and what is life and, you know, is it distraction? Um, you know, so that's kind of all that sort of bubbled up for me when I, when I heard that, if, if anybody wanted to comment more, go for it. Right. Anyone? Well, you know, like, okay. uh, see, like, With, uh, you, know, like you know, like, <laughs> all right. Please. So, okay. So yeah, like you know, like sometimes you know, like what I love about you know what you about poetry and mental illness, like you know sometimes we write poems for our own story, but sometimes when you share it in public, some people will hear it and be like, okay, thank you for sharing my story as well, yeah. and that's what mm-hmm. makes me, makes me, as a poet makes me happy to hear that. Like you know, mm-hmm. like I never meet these people, I don't know them, but sometimes you know, like when you write those poems. When you hear, like, oh, you know, your poem makes me feel comfortable, thank you for sharing, all those comments from people, like, social media have actually, like, you see, like, made me, you know, like, even though I never met those people physically, but actually made me feel a bit better from with myself. 
Like, you see, it made me feel like, okay, my story is heard. My pain is not anymore inside of me, you know? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. the only one who's suffering from those kinds of mental issues. I have other people, you know, suffering. And that alone pushed me to write more about it and be more creative with it. All right. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. We'll continue on now with our next round. And Ahmad, you're off. Uh-huh. All right. So the next poem for the first. Oh, okay. So the next poem I'm gonna be reading is this poem I wrote it when I went back home for the first time because you know I left home when I was five years old and I went back when I was 25. So that was my reaction about when I saw my country after so long. So the third of the poem is death. In my country, everything is related to death. I smell death. I swallow death. And I hear about hope and of death. I see death and I realize that he is a harmless angel collecting spurs as he creates more widows and orphans in the land of death. Thank you. Thank you, Ahmad. Benjamin, you're on. Okay. This uh, next poem is called uh, Fugue with Chemical Restraints and 8-Gauge Eye. And this um, um, this is about uh, Haldol. Yes, I want it. Give it to me. Give me every gift the needle offers. I mouth off too much sometimes. At times, my veins require confiscation. I pat my upper thigh and ask again. When the tip arrives, I welcome it, remembering A riptide sends me back to shore for practice. I drink another cup of charcoal. My brutal elsewhere is liquefied and ripple. And why not want? If not, then what? The day shift nurses count down on fingers, then circle us with palms. Past the steel beams, skylights of the day room, morning happens like a wellness video, looping and on mute, like mountains in a motivational poster whose caption slaloms calligraphically toward my atria. Don't ever let me say I wasn't held or touched enough. The nurse who holds me holds me as gently as any father who holds a son against the mountain. The sunrise beaming from his blade, the angel announcing now is not the time. They circle chairs below the sky in group, each beam unmutes and thus loops light. A girl who leaves the ward as Lily is introduced as Adam. The boy who rates his brother sobs until he vomits. The facilitator says, that's time. Each dusk, another braid of flowers grips the floodlight. Today, we form so many lines. The receiving of construction paper and crayons, of paper cups and talcum dust beneath our tongues. Thank you. Skya. Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying that the pieces I chose for tonight have kind of an overarching theme, so uh, there's there's kind of a bigger story to it. This particular piece is called I Wish I Was Dead. Responsibility's gone. No worry about social acceptability. No one to offend with my lack of social skills. No one to shout at me or expect the impossible. No bills to pay or wondering about affording to eat. 
No more tears to cry, gasping sobs threatening to suffocate. No more being an inept human full of contradiction. No more disappointing anyone. No more awkward introversion. And in a generation or two, I'll be forgotten. A brief blip in the vest. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Jessica? Hello. All right. Um, one's a newer one. Um, it's called State of Grace. I try to keep it tight inside me because if I let it out, I'll just fall and I can't go back to where I was. I've made progress. See, every day can be brighter, though the past wants to creep up like a shadow. Breathe in, breathe out, slow down. You saw me spinning. I was on a ranty tear and you said stop. So I did, and my pulse was racing, breath shallow and stuck. Tears were building and hurt ached at my throat. I just sat with it, unable to distract myself, feeling the losses that will always be there. Is this our state of grace? Holding it together while demons all around us fly and wriggle and seep? We may catch each other when it's all too heavy, but how do we catch ourselves in lonely solitude? A universal thing is calling me. That is my answer right now. A A universal thing is calling me out to be positive. Manifest the positivity, create ever-loving change, be the better, bigger person, pick a peck of pickled peppers. Ah, good words. Breathe in and out. Don't forget your mantras. Get up, show me how you move. All right. Thank you. Nicholas Michael Ravnikar. Uh, this poem is called Parable, and it, uh, it was written from language that uh, appeared in search engine results when I typed in the word insanity. I should state before I read it that um, it does reference rape. So if anyone's uh, sensitive to that topic, uh, I would recommend tuning out for all of the next minute, perhaps. Parable. Television shows used to put animals on trial for murder. Changing that changed a wide range of conditions that require no gym. Movies sometimes portray uncountable romance, sarcasm, math, and language. The most intense, sad things I have been locked up for serve as the basis of considerable daily exhaustion. Lately, I have been obsessed with how unambiguously America's ineffectual approach to a complete disturbance of a broad spectrum sociopathic conduct is responsible for the death of sarcasm. It is literally true that rapists can be funny, like it is literally true that rapists confound nations. But maybe our problems, how ideas hurt and nobody wants to think about it. Thank you. Right. Thank you. 
David Thurston. Are you there, David? Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Michael? Okay, sorry. I guess I was muted. Um, I'm flipping open my current um, published zine of poetry, which is called, um, it's called Tantric Mythology. And this is um, the second to last poem. It's called Awakening. And it's kind of a exploration of a few interlocking dynamics kind of centering on Tantra as a way of viewing the relationship between duality and non-duality in spirituality and consciousness. Um, this has a lot of implications for mental health and resilience in my mind. So the poem is called Awakening. My God is awareness. My God is in the aperture. My goddess is evolving, awakening, and focusing. I probe the depths of this mirror. I explore my left eye. It is the portal to my soul the sacred gateway of desire. This torus of light solidifies. I hold it as I move. My left eye becomes a prism, seeing a kaleidoscope of vibrant hues. I nurture awareness of the erotic, awareness of emotional energy. This power is hypnotic, suffusing the air I breathe. I seek the bliss in each moment, the subtle coursing of consciousness, this bliss of noticing, awareness of all of this. God power transforms desire, enjoying the longing and the fire. This is karmic liberation, a psychotropic amplifier. I feel my pulse quickening. This bliss is a divine offering. I draw power from my suffering, crafting this tantric awakening. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to share a piece that was written by Ahmad Al-Khattat. And the title is Paradise Lost. My therapist wants me to draw signs of my mental illness. Draw me your childhood. I draw an orphan taking a selfie near the sabotaged town. Draw me your teenage years. I draw toxic thought, suicidal blades, and sharp objects set to cut my flesh. Draw me what's in your chest. I draw the pressure of gravity, of negativity, and a sore marathon of freedom. I begin to weep endless tears, wondering if I could ever live a normal life without being stressed and sad. I want someone to hear my tale. I'm tired of being this stranger with wounds almost impossible to recover from my sickness. People wonder. I'm furious on purpose. I love how every word comes from them to me, like a bullet that learned to be invisible straight to my heart. All right. Again, we'll follow the same pattern. Please think of a word, phrase that you heard that really resonated. The lines are open and everybody's live. Just talk. Anyone can go first. One of the things you read in that poem just really hit me. People wonder if I'm furious on purpose. Mm. And this, you know, kind of echoes, I think, a lot of what, you know, other other people have been saying on this, on this call. And that's like, I don't know. It's so hard to exist in the world 
with frictionlessly. You know, it's so hard to, you know, it's so hard to communicate the idea that the symptoms are not intentional, Mm -hmm. right? The anger is not intentional. It's not even always controllable, though that's not, you know, that's not acceptable. Like, it has Mm -hmm. to be controllable. Um, Mm -hmm. The anger, the the despair, the it's it's unconcealable sometimes. And, you know, so many people think that it is, it's an affectation or it's a manipulation or it's, um, you know, invention. And it's none of these things. I used to believe people when they told me that. And I'd ask myself, I spent way too long asking myself, am I making this up? And then... You know, it's actually interesting during quarantine is when I realized possibly for the first time, no, there's no one around and all of these things are still here. They lied to you. They lied to you, man. And, uh, and it's trying to unlearn those lies. I understand. All right. Anyone else? I really related to the um, the theme of desire in David Phoenix's uh, piece, particularly, um, at least the way I understood it, sort of this relationship between the either or and the both and. Um, in terms of the either or, like, I definitely find myself existing in a state of black and white kind of rigid thinking. Um, and one of the strategies that's been really helpful in terms of um, – recognizing when that kind of thinking is useful and when it's not appropriate for sort of gray areas and when I need to consider the impact that emotions play in Mm -hmm. my own and other people's lives. Um, Right. Like I start to adopt this both and um, uh, trying to embrace the both and, which um, I think in in different circles is called wise mind. Um, so there's this really strong desire that I have for that kind of, uh, let's say, ability to control myself or control my thoughts. But, um, you know, like Ben just said, I think part of, part of the deal with living with mental illness is that it's a struggle to control my thoughts. <laughs> right? yes. I mean, uh, you know, the thoughts in, in a lot of ways are just going on in the background. And uh, my attention sometimes is hyper fixated on those and, so the emotions that can come from them, you know, often are uncontrollable in terms of, the, you know, the, the extent to which I can mask what's going on inside. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely a desire to cohere with the rest of reality, but also a sort of a recognition that, like, there's just different strategies that are going to be necessary for me to uh, even hope to do that. All right. This is, you're right, it's very difficult to control your thoughts. They, in many instances, I know my thoughts, they have a mind of their own, separate from me. Anyone else? Um, I'll just jump in real quick to amplify a little bit of what I was hearing. Um, was just said about desire. Um, you know, one of the one of the more challenging practices that you can approach from a tantric perspective is um, to enjoy. Otherwise, enjoy emotions or feelings that you might at first glance label as negative. Like even something like pain, like if you're cutting onions and you cut your finger a little bit and you feel this sharp pain, 
you can actually choose to be grateful that you felt the pain because that meant you didn't keep cutting, you know? So even like emotions that we find as somewhat unpleasant, they exist for a reason and they exist to tell us things that we can actually learn from. And so you can also, from there, you can learn to enjoy desire for something in advance of getting it. Just enjoy the desire, the feeling of wanting, whether that's like, Mm. you know, a cup of coffee or a kiss or more or whatever, just enjoy the desire without necessarily, like enjoy that, that, that moment between desire when you actually get it. And you can even enjoy desiring things that you're not going to get or things that had are denied to you because a given relationship ended or whatever. You can still appreciate mm-hmm. that you felt that, um, that connection with creation that was involved and you're wanting to connect more deeply with someone who you're maybe not, able to see in that way anymore so i just mm. thought i would throw that out there yeah that's i mean it's really helpful it definitely it definitely connects to the practice of you know mindfulness and trying to cultivate wisdom uh and i mean i take it that that's not <laughs> that's not an easy uh an easy uh, process or task to come to a point where one is consistently enjoying the desire to, for instance, like be rid of something that they're averse to. Um, but I definitely can understand how it would be a practice that uh, would open up a whole new range of relationships to emotion. Mm. Other thoughts on what David shared? Is it really interesting? Anyone else? Yeah, right. I mean, oh, it's, yeah, kind, right, of, please, it's uh, kind of far out. Just just a, it's a far out concept that actually kind of blew my mind a little bit just just now. Uh, that, what about it blew what your mind? Say about that? Well, this idea of that experiencing kind of the emotion or the feeling in between, right? Mm-hmm. We're in such a like, you know, I guess uh, black and white world, right? we always say binary and all of that stuff and it's like cause and effect, but what's in the middle. Um, Mm. That's pretty cool. And, you know, a lot of times I walk around wondering, you know, people that seem to have it together more, is there some sort of special sauce that I'm missing, you know, (laughs) and um, (laughs) maybe that's part of the special sauce right there. I don't know. You know, I had a therapist years ago make this statement that we do not live in a black and white world. We live in the gray, which is in between. That's where life exists. And that helped me in a way that I Mm -hmm. did not operate Mm -hmm. just on those two poles, black or white, that there was nothing in the middle, either or, that it was a gray area. What do you think about this gray area? Is there a gray area? Well, there's also, you know, there, there are situations, I mean, we're using like visual metaphors for reality, which is always going to be a little bit complicated. Um, but like there are, um, I'm going to throw out a, like a, a fairly concrete example of this. Um, you know, like there's, there's an obvious, um, there's an obvious duality between darkness and light, but neither one would exist without the other. And 
one create each creates the other. So there's actually a conceptualization of these really being manifestations of the same existence in, in, in consciousness and in reality that manifests as dark and light, but that actually you can't have either one without the other one. So there's a duality, but there's also a non-duality. And um, you can kind of, if you want to try to apply this to kind of mental health stuff, um, you know, like the, and I, I, I have a lot of this because I'm manic depressive, so I have, you know, some pretty extreme highs and some pretty extreme um, lows. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the, hard, the hardest thing. It's, it's really easy to, like, ride the wave of elation that comes with the various gradations of hypomania and mania, but to, like, learn the lessons that the world is teaching me through, through depression or through anxiety and to, like, appreciate that and to learn from it, that's, like, way harder work. Um, but, it's, you know, that part of, um, part of any emotion arising, it, it'll just stay suppressed if there's no hope of actually dealing with it. If the emotion is coming to the surface of consciousness, whatever the emotion is, there's some hope of your being drawing some kind of helpful, concrete life lesson from processing that emotion. So even, a, even like a feeling of deadly despair can mean that there's something that you're ready to work on. And that's something I deal with a lot too, just as a, as a practicing um, psychotherapist. I've been kind of, I got my, got my degree about a year ago in social work and I've been working at the agency where I was a intern for the prior year. And, um, you know, it's, it's constantly a challenge to, get people to help people to get insight into even their darkest states. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Continue. Oh yeah. No, I think that reaches back to what Jessica was saying a while ago, right. About excavating happiness. Um, mm-hmm. in a kind of, in, in a way, I, I don't know those unintegrated. So, you know, a lot of mental illnesses deal on extremes, right? And borderline is certainly, you know, among them, right? The binary thinking, the unintegrated kind of like the unintegrated extremes of emotion and of, of conceiving of the world and conceiving of the self. And, and when that's the hallmark of experience and you spend so much time in that mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, the idea of excavating happiness, learning to accept that as a reality and not fight it, not not begrudge it or resent it to appreciate that and say, Hey, you know, like as kind of like Dave, what you were saying, right. Is, is extreme or gruesome as this feels there. This is an existence, right? This is, this is a life. This is a human life as valid as any other. And, and there's worth in it. Um, And that's, you know, that's not something that, one can spend all their time in. Sometimes you feel the emotion and it's, and it's, you know, overwhelming. And then sometimes, I don't know, back to that excavating happiness, right? Like, I don't know, I'll speak for myself here. For me, that's been truest when that acceptance comes and I haven't tried to alter any state I'm in. I just accept it. Right. Right. Mm. Well, let's continue. Ahmad, you're on. Yes, thank you. 
So my next poem, the title is Beautiful World. When, when I will be less worthy, release me from this earthy. Let me go away from from ninety tears. Let me go away from ninety tears and dull days, months, and years. I do not want to hear anyone near. I've heard. I've have heard enough. Can you hear me? He can or cannot always guess. My grief is not equal to my happiness. We try to be tighter, but we are apart. So many emotions sweep in the heart. One day. I will miserably hang myself. You will have a beautiful world to yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Benjamin Sharif Goldberg. Okay, this next poem is called uh, Daedalus Builds a Treehouse. And, um, you know, for any listeners out there, unfamiliar Daedalus, the um, kind of kind of inventor and creator in Greek mythology who built a labyrinth that houses the Minotaur and um, is also affiliated with uh, I mean, his son Icarus, who famously flew too close to the sun on wings that his father made. Um, and I was also kind of on a personal note, something that uh, it's a word I, I came across, I picked up, didn't know what it meant, and uh, it sounded like dad. So I just uh, started calling my dad that for a while. <laughs> so... Um, indulged it. It was sweet. Anyway, uh, this is called Daedalus Builds a Treehouse. And this is in my dad's voice. Before my son turned six, I carved his name these places. Oak and rung of of rope ladder, the plywood plank he paints. His fingers seek some twigs to whittle, kindling for flames he'll touch before he'll make. The wind adjusts. Nothing falls, is all I say as he drops his hammer in the grass beside his shoes. He won't remain marooned in a canopy before the pills that douse what he can't name, before the feather in his hand means blade. I watch him use his tongue to dab the sap from each finger, then string for him a bow of birch. He chalks his palms with the wings of moths he's touched. I'm softer on him than dust. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this one is called Panic Attack. You try to leave, and the demons keep dragging you back. You sit there, still, frozen, waiting for the urge to pass, the ideation of the tiny choice that will change your world. So much time spent motionless. You stop feeling your body after a while. Dissociation is what they call it. Like you're outside yourself, seeing a body you can't feel, in a way, it keeps you safe because you remain still. Harder to make dangerous choices if you stay still. The committee of critics in your brain gets louder and louder. The din becomes a dull roar, then the loudest sound you couldn't imagine. Everything gets loud. Silence is deafening. But you remain still. You must. You have to. If only to prove you're to yourself that you're stronger while at your weakest, a contradiction. Living inside this moment, each moment, is the strongest thing you'll ever do until the next moment, second by second, desperately clinging to anything that will give you a little more time. The moments tick by, the second hand as deafening as the silence it sits within. Everything slows down. 
still not aware of your body, that now brings an unexplained heaviness. Slogging through molasses, wearing a lead suit, seconds seem an eternity, and when you notice the clock, only moments have passed. Every ounce of energy focused on not letting go, can't let go. Remain still, wait for the ideation to pass. When it does, and you feel yourself coming back to life, you exhale the breath you've been holding despite having breathed the whole time. Thank you. Thank you. Jessica, Philly Park. All right. Uh, Thank you so much. So this is um, The Perfectionist Must Die. Every word we stated, every action we played over and over until time makes her forget. Man, I shouldn't have said that. Believe I waited so long to do that. What an idiot. Little things, big things, stuff that doesn't matter. All scrutinized the same with life or death in the balance. Each evaluated with harsh intensity to gain the upper hand on herself. Her critical inspection of every move can only lead to madness. You can see it's made her back contort and jawbone broad. Her smile does not come easy. Her laugh can only be pulled by nonsensical perversion and a callus has formed over her whole body. The perfectionist must die. I need to kill her with a thousand humiliations. Each strike must slice off a piece of her shielding shell till only soft, porous skin remains, vulnerable but alive. The first blows should hurt too deeply and linger in her stomach till she's sick. Make her shoulders creep up to her ears and tears of embarrassment glaze her eyes. She should hurt over and over again till the every side is exposed, raw, really living. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Nicholas Michael Rapnikar, you're on. I've really got to say thank you for getting all three names in there. It's such a, I really appreciate it. It's my, it's my preferred <laughs> moniker. And so, so many people like to shorten it with Nick, and I really appreciate you getting every syllable in there. Um, this, uh, this piece is called National Awareness Month Prevention Awareness. And uh, it's an erasure poem and a list poem, which is based off of uh, – the awareness and prevention months that are federally recognized by presidential executive order. And I've taken out the words national awareness, prevention and month. Um, National awareness month, prevention awareness. Awareness, the quality or state of being aware, knowledge and understanding that something is happening or exists, aware, having or showing realization, perception, or knowledge, mentoring, stalking, slavery and human trafficking, American heart, black history, teen dating violence, American Red Cross, women's history, Irish American heritage, Arab American heritage, cancer control, donate life, child abuse, sexual assault, poetry, Financial literacy, Americans, 
Jewish American, Asian Pacific American heritage, physical fitness and sports, foster care, gay and lesbian pride, Caribbean American, great outdoors, oceans, African American music, ice cream, childhood cancer, sickle cell, alcohol and drug addiction recovery, ovarian and prostate cancer, wilderness, preparedness, childhood obesity, prostate cancer, Hispanic heritage, information literacy, Italian-American heritage and culture, country music, violence, arts and humanities, disability employment, cybersecurity, energy, Down syndrome, entrepreneurship, military family, bone marrow, hospice, adoption, family caregivers, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, American Indian heritage, critical infrastructure protection, impaired driving. Awareness doesn't mean we're doing anything about it. Could one month for lifetimes and generations of ancestors and descendants ever be enough? Hmm. So what are we going to do about it? Thank you. Thank you. David Thurston. All right. Um, I decided I would just go ahead and read um, the thematic blue poem to my new zine to, for folks since we just got into a little exploration of the, the dynamics of Tantra in the last um, go-round. So this poem is called Tantric Mythology. Spirit moves, deeply attuned. My mind expands, duality reconstrued. My God is desire. My God is awakening. This explosion of tantric fire, our collective divinity creating. I'm a vessel for the sacred, worshiping divergent pantheons. Aztec martyrs fuse with Osiris. Bantu gods craft new songs. Yoruba spirits traverse deep waters. Yamaya and ocean, divinity's daughters. Shango's fire powers virility, fueling the tantric, making it deeper. I return to inspiration, to the fulcrum of experience. I taste the nectar of liberation. I taste your spiritual essence. I feel the pulse of your libido, exploring the resonance of your being. New consciousness gestates, orgasmic powers interweaving. My mind becomes ambidextrous, our bodies pulsating and electric, dualities and dialectics becoming fused and concentric. Circles of sacred fire unveiled before my eyes, this cauldron of divinity unleashing viscous desire. Evolve to find the joy and pain. Feel your tears and let them rain. Explore your writhing spirit and liberate. Mantras manifest, remolding our fate. Shiva and Shakti realign, copulate and intertwine. Every atom orgasmic, forging sentience divine. The carnal becomes sacred, truth unveiled by many traditions. We recreate tantric synergy. We resurrect a new religion. Find the bliss deep within. Observe the stars arising again. Kundalini fire burns inside, serpents merging your spine and mind. Worship gods of the diaspora, spirits both ancient and modern. This tradition is transformation, 
tantric creation begins again. Orishas of Santeria, meeting godlings of the East, crafting new prophecy, forging liberation and peace. Sanskrit words pierce my mind, words I strain to comprehend. All that we experience is divine. Cosmic Genesis, courses without end. Wow. Thank you, David. Wow. You know, I rarely write anymore. <laughs> All my poems are old. <laughs> As Jessica, David, and Benjamin know, <laughs> I rarely ever write. And I share the same poems over and over and over again. I guess they're my comfort. So here's a piece titled, It's a Crime to Feel So Blue. It's a crime to feel so blue. Although I like the hue of blue as a color of ink in a pen. A fountain pen to be exact, one that glides gracefully across the page with certainty and purpose. Yet today there is no pen. Just the color blue and the blue stain alone doesn't die so easily. Their jagged edges and crosses that hide years of despair. It's a crime to feel so blue. Although I like the hue blue as the color of a suit, double-breasted, if you will, sleek, secure, strong, but I'm not wearing a suit today, just the color blue, and on me, blue alone doesn't look or feel as well. It hangs, and it sags, and it weighs me down like an elevator carrying a heavy, heavy load. It's a crime to feel so blue. Although I like the hue of blue in the summertime as a backdrop for the sky, then in splendid colors highlight the white puffs of cotton that speck the horizon. That is wintertime, and the cerulean skies have gone, and what remains is just the color blue, now a melancholy shade. is nothing but reminds me of the severity of my discontent. It's a crime to feel so blue. If you're my judge, either convict me or set me free. All right. I'm opening up the lines for everyone. All right. Please share your thoughts. Uh, Michael, you, uh, you should never feel bad about sharing old poetry because you know my style is quite the same. <laughs> and it's so and it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Anyone? Uh, I I really I really related to um, the line and uh, well the concept in Jessica's poem of the of perfectionism as a shielding shell uh, as this kind of sort of defense mechanism. And um, the the personification of perfectionism as someone whose smile does not come easy. Uh, I just I really resonated with that. And, um, I also wanted to say that I really uh, am digging on the. I I think it's a consistent sort of theme of spirituality or spiritual practice um, as or mindfulness practice in some in some way as a strategy for. Uh, mental health recovery. It all seems to be common themes that I'm sensing throughout everybody's work. All right. Anyone else? 
All right, then. This is a prosaic question, but how how late are we going? We have one more round, and that's it. Oh, okay. Yes. We're almost there. Almost there. All right. This is the last round, unless there's another comment for round three. All right. Ahmad, you're on. Yes. Thank you. So the title of this poem is this poem is from my new book called The Finest Cigarette. It's still in the process of editing, but soon it's going to be in the market on Amazon. So once again, the title of the, po- the book is The Finest Cigarette. Uh, one thing about this book is going to be more important about mental illness issue, and hopefully all the money that will, I will make from this book will go to mental illness institutions. So all the money in the income. All right? So the title of the poem Smile on my side. Still the age of 18, I became an irresponsible grown-up. Drinking more than I should, eating more should, more than I should, smoking more than I should, all for the sake of putting a smile on my sad face. After reaching of the age of 20, excuse me, 25, I learned how to conclude my emotions. My muted tongue carried my unique accent. I carried my tears in my fable eyes. My wounds were carried in my shattered heart. All for the sake of putting a smile on my sad face. After reaching the age of 33, I started working hard in a restaurant. I cooked my eggnosh and it tastes bitter. I scrubbed my the dishes with my tears and all the plates cracked in half. I prepared a new drink with my blood in. It tastes death. So here all my farewell sips for all, all for the sake of putting a smile on my sad face. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Benjamin, you're on the air. This poem is called Shoreline. Uh, The flood tide took its time filling in our footprints. We sprinted up the beach. By a tuft of sea oats, I wrote my answer with a stick. As much for you as for the beach. We spent Christmas in the Keys, and your father called me godless. On a postcard, I wrote, what I love is God enough for me. On a shoal, we gathered seaweed for a wreath. Night. Moonless and yet, golf feathers, clamshells, white sand, calm. Past the jetties, a world happens. Past the clouds, perhaps another. Cloudlessly, day, nettles on the beach. Only once I was this cold. At camp, we huddled on the riverbank as lightning cracked the branches. I prayed, our canoes filled with river. Lampreys swam beneath our creed. Step into waves more deeply than your shiver lets you. Put a gash in what you need. Swim to atolls and leave skin from your knees. Love the sinner and the beach. That summer, love some. Sandal, sunscreen, our bodies after and between. At night, we shook sand from our sheets. What I meant to tell you, you said to tell the beach. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Skaya. All right. So before I read this last piece, the the way that I arranged mine is um, 
a representation of the life cycle of uh, an emotional storm and from how it starts to how you go through it to how it ends. Uh, that's something that I, I've dealt with for a long time with uh, the diagnoses that I have. And um, I think it can speak probably for a lot of people when sometimes when you're diagnosed and you don't have a support system, you don't have anybody to help you through it, you learn how to do it on your, on your own by yourself. And I learned how to uh, function through them by being able to tell people what was happening as I was going through them. So this is my representation. And now I'm at the part where I've come out of the storm. This one's called Note to Self. Slow down, love. You don't need to have it all figured out now. Show up with an open heart. The road will be revealed. You're where you're supposed to be, at least for now. Let people find you and love you. No convincing necessary. Life is not an interview. No one to impress. No standard questions. No what's your weakness. You design your life, even with the capitalist grind. The future remains undecided until you make a choice. Choose you again and again. Savor the moments. Make mistakes. Continue to show up. Thank you. Thank you, Sky. Jessica. All right. Um, So this one's called, Oh, Move On Already. And I tend to therapize myself through poetry, and this is one of those attempts. I've been pressed up against my own limits for too long, and it seems the barrier is bursting open, making me have to choose, win or lose, take a chance. But I keep looking in the rearview mirror, dwelling on mistakes of the past. Why? They don't move me ahead. They drag on my tails and roll me over. There must be a reason they creep up, uh, then overtake any lessons in the regrets. Just an auto-tuned brain going to its safe space of self-destruction. It's a homey place. It's familiar. Old friends are there, always with a beer, ready to pat me on the back and ask me for more sob stories to compare to theirs. Cheers. The regret is fear, past fear, past anxiety, really, about future fear, but the future is here, and it ain't too shabby, so what's up? Why can't I just be satisfied? Let's see. Work to achieve, to make a comfy life, help others, have fun, make a difference, believe in something. Maybe belief has been missing somehow. I've got the solid beliefs, the believe in love and being good and the biggies. It's a shame because they have so many names. None of them really fit me, but the truth has never been hard to see. Ah, whose truth you say? Even fact is in question today. It's maddening, maddening the unraveling. Foundation slipping away to stupidity, making goals meaningless, fleeting dreaminess we can't afford to envision while people struggle to keep living. And that's why I'm so disappointed in myself. My mind, unable to unentwine itself with things of the past, worries that shouldn't last, energy that needs to be released so I can be better for the world. Finally, graciously, carefully, fearlessly, are we done yet? Ready to get started? Great. Let's go. Wow. Thank you, Jessica. Nicholas Michael Ravnikov. So I have a confession to make, which is that I did not bring a fourth poem with me. And, <laughs> right, no uh, problem. <laughs> I know I banked, no I banked on the fact that, um, that conversation in the poems 
would be so inspiring that I could actually write a collage <laughs> on the spot. Right. So I've, I've written a collage poem uh, using mm-hmm. language from the poems and the discussion that we've had. Uh, and I've titled it Special Sauce. All right. When you're triggered by the world, try to see life as perhaps a distraction, not from your emotions, but to understanding how hurt pains us. As the urgency of days evolve, another means of existence, to be whatever I need it to be. We share loneliness in all its familiar spirals, leaving home with trouble in mind through flooded streetlights, licking air thick with dust, toxic smiles aimed at my breath again. The noises in the background could be voices. The voices in the background could be mine, tossed into amplified desires to awaken the orphaned selfies, lost in tears of words. These unconcealed thoughts I love that have a mind of their own to enjoy. The lack between cause and effect, stuck between interdependence and its opposite somehow appears to be hopeful as it approaches the sun to forget where we've carved a name, but to excavate it nonetheless, even if it hangs and sags. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. And David Thurston. Oh, can you hear me? Yes, I can now. Yes. Sorry, I guess I was I was just talking to myself. All right. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was giving, uh, giving uh, Nicholas some props for um, writing a poem in the middle of this event and it would be so, 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 so visceral. Um, that means you're, in the, I, you're um, in the right place. You're in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I was just um, talking to myself. So anyway, I thought I would read a, my last poem, a poem that I wrote. Kind of recently, it's called Ecstatic Joy. I wrote it in the midst of um, this intentional camp experience that I do a few times a year. Um, it's out in a place called Abrams Creek, Creek in West Virginia, and it's uh, sponsored by something called the Center for New Culture, which does these um, convenings where you're, you're given space to kind of really dig deep into emotions and relationships and process stuff. And Anyway, so I wrote this poem. It's called Ecstatic Joy. I feel joy, ecstatic joy connection with these beings, connection with deep waters of transformation. Godlings of rain bless this space today, the land inundated, water finding the path of least resistance, blowing serpentine. Abrams Creek, a deluge, pregnant with energy and healing, connecting us with our spirit bodies. Our energy flows with the creek, fluid lines materialize, then dissipate into a torrent of evolution, moving through emotion, accessing these portals to our power. I commune with kindred spirits, connecting across difference, amplifying our common humanity, creating a viscous, liquid flow of empathy. We dance like vixens, flowing through sacred water. We cry with the rain, tears of joy and shared pain. There is vision here. There is power here. Forces, emotional and sensual, embracing this mighty river, potent waters of intersectional liberation, conjuring magic and mystery. We envision a new culture, crafting emotional tools, tools to empower collective liberation, manifesting tantric synergy, harmonizing dualities and contradictions. Our blood pulsates, imbued with hope and unconditional love, flowing through us like a sacred river, flowing with fire like a courageous and torrential river. Wow. 
Thank you, David. I'll forgo sharing a last piece. And the last poem we'll hear tonight is from Richard Harris, who lives in England. And the title of the work is Words of a Stranger. Words of a Stranger. I was seated in a room in an old house, feeling alone but with other people. Group therapy, counseling, a facilitator present. I was telling my story of abuse, of depression, of my stepmother trying to have sex with me when I was 14. A stranger, a new member, a young man I really did not know spoke. He told me it was not my fault. I had been a kid. I was stunned. It took a stranger speaking the truth to bring me relief and forgiveness. To forgive myself for something that I had not actually done, I did have no blame. I felt lead weights lifting from my shoulders. Lead weights I had carried for 30 years. I cried. I howled. I emptied myself of the guilt. The guilt I should not have carried at any time. And certainly not so soon after my mother's death. Richard Harris. Instead of the last comments in terms of uh, questions about what we heard, I have something I'd like to ask. And so what is the role of poetry in mental health awareness? Anyone? What is the role? Well, I, personally, uh, I think that poetry is um, – a mode of expression that can be very elemental and can really just bring um, the raw visceral experience of something to the forefront. And, um, you know, I'm struck by how many poets I know have some kind of mental health story in their, in, in their past. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think um, any kind of poetry has just one role per se, but I think that um, poetry is a really powerful, powerful portal into explaining things that can be hard to really articulate um, right. like the extremes of the extremes of mood, the contradictory components of all these different things. It's like, it's hard to just put it into a paragraph, but it's easier for me to put it into a poem. All right. Very nice. Anyone else? What is the role of poetry and mental health awareness? Someone talk to me. I, I had actually done some research recently on, um, poetry and mental health prior to finding out about this episode. Um, and I, I actually found out that there's a whole modality called poetry therapy that sort of yes. started in the 19, 1960s, late mm-hmm. 1960s, um, and has since evolved into, I think it's the International Institute for Bibliotherapy and Poetry Therapy. Um, All right. It's sort of like the accrediting body. I'm not sure. You know what that's worth, but anyway, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of evidence-based, you know, research, clinical research that shows that engaging in poetry writing has positive outcomes for um, patients with who, who are uh, experiencing symptoms from schizophrenia to um, even folks with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of relieving the symptoms, but also for those 
who are suffering from like physical illnesses, um, the symptoms of which can't necessarily be um, directly alleviated, that it still provides what they call a positive challenge um, mm-hmm. that, that I think does relate to what um, David had mentioned previously about, um, you know, this loving the desire, right, or, or appreciating and valuing the desire that we have to get through an experience or um, to be alleviated of some pain. And so I think that the, there seems, in my experience, to be something, you know, involved in I'm experiencing some troubling emotion or some emotion that I am perceiving as troubling. And one way that I have of getting through that is starting to write a poem. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I start writing the poem without even realizing that the reason why I've started it is because I'm experiencing some emotion. Um, And so oftentimes the, the poem becomes a field that sort of exposes the emotion that I have to me um, because I wasn't necessarily aware of it before it started. All right. You know, a number of years ago, an opportunity to write a journal or an article for the journal of poetry therapy. So it's a very, very powerful group. Mm. Anyone else before we close? There is someone who's been listening, but he's not here any longer. It was a caller who wanted to share some thoughts, but he's not here anymore. So I'd like to thank all of you for participating. It's been a wonderful, wonderful evening. I've learned so much about all of you and myself included that despite the obstacles and the negative times, I'm still okay. I regained paradise when I found poetry. I had lost it, but I regained it when I found poetry. David, in Mm. terms of NAMI, any thoughts from you? Sorry, I just had to unmute. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, if you're in the D.C. area, I recommend connecting with NAMI D.C., the local chapter. Um, NAMIDC.org is the website. That's N-A-M-I-D-C.org. Um, you know, there's, we're always looking for new ways to creatively amplify the stories of resilience in the face of mental health um, obstacles and challenges. And, um, you know, we're always embracing new lines of research and new lines of inquiry and new ways of expressing things. And, you know, we've been doing events like this for mental health awareness month for a few years now. And it's really been a powerful part of what we do. So I, I encourage people who are listening to think about ways they might want to connect with support right. they might need. So NAMI is nationwide. I probably international. Am I correct? Your branches everywhere. In, in the U S I'm not sure if, Outside of the U.S., I would say the same thing. All right, then. Thank you. Anyone else with any comments before we close? I know it's been a while. Anyone else? Um, I just have to say that this was wonderful, and and thank you for for having us on this, and your show is great. Um, I would say my one-word answer to your question about poetry and, and, you know, in mental health is release. You know, mm, and uh, yes. I definitely felt that today and mm-hmm. talking with you all and sharing and you all very much inspired me. So thank yes. you. And thank you, Michael. Thank you. 
All right, all right. All right, all right. Anyone else before we close? Any final comments? I just want to thank everybody. Thank you for having me. All right. All right, there's Skya. And then I think they may be Benjamin, I believe. Skya, please share. Uh, thank you for having having the space. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We need to do this kind of program more often. Benjamin, what about you, sir? Nope, just uh, the same thing. This was really lovely, and uh, I really appreciate being here with everybody. So thank you all, all. Right. and thank you, Michael. Nicholas? All right, yeah, thank I, you. Nick- I wanted to thank everybody for agreeing to come through and share their experience. Uh, I really appreciate the vulnerability that everybody had mm-hmm. coming to the table and um, you know, just mm-hmm. bearing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not easy sharing your story. It's not easy allowing people to hear words that you, that you feel about yourself. But it's important that you share all right, everyone. Thank you so much. And to Thank our listening you. audience, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Quintessential Bye. Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.